Birds are singing. The sun is out. Spring has sprung. Has your wardrobe followed suit? If not, you can get a refresh with Bombas, my favorite brand for socks, tees, and underwear that also has an amazing mission that we support wholeheartedly. Because for every incredible comfy item that I get from Bombas, they match with a donation to someone who is unhoused. Get comfy this spring and give back with Bombas. Head over to bombas.com slash hard things and use code hard things for 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash hard things and use code hard things at checkout. It's hard to find a great mentor who can help me level up. My dream mentor, Stephen Curry, Simone Biles, episode 38. I was really excited that they have a class on Masterclass. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. For just $10 a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And you can access Masterclass on your phone, computer, or even in audio mode. If you want to improve your physical and mental well-being, or if you want to build stronger relationships with renowned psychotherapist Esther Perel, go to Masterclass. Esther Perel's class has really been helping me build stronger relationships, and my friend Robin Roberts's class is helping me really expand my communication skills on the podcast and also in life. Plus, every new membership comes with a 30-day money-back guarantee. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash hard things. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash hard things. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome back to We Can Do Hard Things. Since we have Dr. Brado, Dr. Lori Brado, back with us today to talk to us about sex, I am not going to waste your time talking about anything else. Okay? So let's jump in. Hi, Abby. Hi, sister. Hi, Dr. Brado. Hi, Lori. Hi, hi, hi. Hello, hello. hello. Let's talk about sex, babe. Somebody had to do it. Somebody Everybody knew that was coming. Uh-huh. Sorry. Okay. No, 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 babe. We love you. We love you. Never, never gets old. <laughs> Does it though? Does mm-hmm. it? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I want to just recap. You, everyone must go back if you haven't and listen to the first episode where we talked about sexual dysfunction, mostly in women and how so much of it is caused by many things. One being our beliefs about sex and our conditioning about sex from our culture, which shames us into fleeing our bodies early. Um, The political climate right now and stress of all kinds, how stress in our, in our, in our minds makes us not able to be in our bodies during sex. Can you, Dr. Brado, give us a better description of it than I just gave us (laughs) of how stress keeps us from having good sex. Yeah, for sure. Let's define stress. First of all, like we can think about things that are stressful, like a big event that we don't want to attend or a big event that we have to plan for. Um, And then there's the day-to-day stress, the never ending to-do list, the daily grind, the having to get groceries at the end of the day because the fridge is empty And it does turn out that the day-to-day stressors, that kind of perpetual to-do list, 
do more damage to our brain than single big life event stressors. And, hmm. and it's because of their chronic nature. So our brains were evolved to deal with stressors in the moment, right? We encounter the saber-toothed tiger. We have this big fight or flight response and we either, you know, take off or we fight the tab- saber-toothed tiger, but that would be stupid. So we did and we wouldn't have evolved over time. So we, we run. So our stress response system hasn't evolved over millennia. It has not evolved. It does the same thing. So when we encounter the day-to-day stress, like, oh my gosh, I'm late for picking up my kid from school, we launch that full body response as if we're going into the den with the saber-toothed tiger. Mm. When that happens on a chronic uh, level, our brain can't turn that off. And so we actually have this kind of chronic state of stress and we see it show up in cortisol levels, which is the main stress hormone. So normally we wake up with high cortisol in the morning. It kind of gives us that zest to start the day. And then over the course of the day, it comes down. Mm -hmm. Um, When we are chronically stressed, it stays high the whole time and it, it malfunctions. It actually doesn't help us to cope. It does the opposite and can be linked to depression in the long term. How does that affect us in the bed? Yeah. So that's stress. <laughs> Chronic high cortisol levels, they interfere with some of the hormones that are involved in sexual response, but they can also directly affect the brain in a way that makes the brain unable to process sexual triggers, right? So we might see something that in the past used to turn us on. Maybe it's some, seen something erotic in a film or reading something erotic or having a sexual fantasy. Stress can actually disrupt that entire system and it happens on a brain level. Mm. Um, that's one of the ways, but then there's also all of the physical side effects of that, like carrying tension in our body. And when we're carrying muscle tension in our body, it's not the good kind of tension mm-hmm. that would be pro-sexual. It actually backfires and it makes it a lot harder to get sexually aroused and, and reach orgasm. So stress is um, a major culprit for a, a lot of the sexual concerns that we see, not just low desire, but even pain with sex, problems reaching orgasm and not feeling pleasure. Stress is not going to say the number one reason, but it's definitely in the top three that should be investigated. So why does stress not? Because in our first episode, we talked about how one of the issues that gets in the way of good sex for us, for women especially, is our conditioning and our shaming over time. Mm-hmm. Women have that in, in different measure than men. So it makes sense that we would that would be a, a bigger issue for us with sex. Mm-hmm. Why doesn't stress get in the way of men feeling desire? I assume they have some stress also, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So why does stress break our mind-body connection and not Mm -hmm. their mind-body connection. Because what I'm hearing here is a lot of themes that we've been discussing all along on We Can Do Hard Things. The overwhelm Mm -hmm. episode with sister discussing the mental load that women carry of running our families is often different than than what men carry. That would make sense that we would have more stress because of that. So are they stressed? And if men are stressed, then why isn't it getting in in the way of sex for them? Yeah, it's a big question. Unfortunately, we, we don't have the perfect science to answer it. What we've got are a lot of good guesses and hypotheses. First of all, we know that stress can actually drive sexual arousal in men. Um, so we've got lots of examples of men, while stressed, getting erections. And we did talk in the last episode about the body's response and the mind's response in 
in males tending to be more in sync with each other. So sometimes stress can be more prosexual. So we think about a stressful day, right, at work or even uh, a conflict or even a violent encounter mm. can actually be pro-sexual in men and in, in women has the opposite effect. Um, there's also wow. all sorts of different interactions with um, uh, hormones in men than there is in women that also explain some of the differences that we see in the effects of stress on sexual response. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. It's like the, it's like men ejaculating. It's like, I got to get the stress out of me. I've got to like, there's like this, this body's response really in in my mind. And the fact that they can actually see their erection is like, for me, real proof. Cause so many women have never even looked at their own vaginas. Right. It's like this hidden secret, this hidden mystery. So for men to be able to actually see their actual erections, it's pretty obvious that they're sexually stimulated in those moments. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, exactly. One of the things that I loved about our first episode is that when we discussed how do we know if we are having healthy sex lives? And by the way, who cares? With a partner, with two partners, with 10 partners, with no partners, whatever, who cares, right? That doesn't matter. Are we experiencing pleasure? You said would be not frequency, not partners, not just the question, am I experiencing pleasure within sex Mm -hmm. is an excellent barometer. And I love that. I have had experiences in my life where my pleasure wasn't a factor in any way before my current marriage. Thanks, babe. Yes. What does a person who, because really if a woman's not experiencing pleasure in bed with her partner and her partner is not making any effort to change that or even care about it or even talk about it. Is it dysfunction that she has no desire or is it just totally effing logical? Yeah, it's adaptive. What is a script? How does a person who has never discussed pleasure with their partner, who this is like a frontier for her, like she wants to be able to have pleasure in her sex life. How does she even begin? Mm-hmm. Right. Because also it might not even be the partner's fault. Like plenty of people, and we get questions all the time from people who maybe they've been faking orgasm because that's what they've been doing since they were 15. So the other person might not even know, or the other person might want to know, and you might not. I mean, I can't, I can't talk during sex. I can't talk I'm, I am, I'm, I'm, I can't do it. My mouth (laughs) will not open. Like what do, Maybe the person wants to know, but you just can't start. How do you start using words? Yeah. (laughs) We're going to change that. Okay. (laughs) We're going to change that for you. Let's start, first of all, not in that sexual encounter. First of all, let's make sure that this person feels permission, feels empowered to know her own body, to touch her own body, to know what feels good, to know what kinds of stimulation Um, work best for her in different scenarios. Let's make sure she has a great quality lubricant. Mm. Yes, lubricant for 20-year-olds and 30-year-olds, not just for postmenopausal vaginas. Every woman should have a lubricant. And let's make sure that she has the time and the space and the privacy to know her body. That's 
Commandment number one. <laughs> Let's make sure every that woman she knows. needs a lubricant of her own. Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's what you're saying. Okay. Go yeah, ahead. Or or subscription because when it runs out, you need to make sure that there's another one <laughs> on its way. Excellent. And I recognize when I say that, that there's all sorts of barriers that are coming up. There's all sorts of negative beliefs and oppositions to that, right? Because essentially what I'm saying is we want to um, not just normalize, but encourage self-exploration and masturbation yes. in women. Yes. Right. In the same way we talked in the last episode about that young boy in the bath, feeling the bath water and it's normalized and ha ha ha, the penis is growing and, you know, masturbation in young boys becomes normalized over time as a rite of passage. So um, for for a woman to know what feels good, she has to know her own body first, Mm -hmm. first and foremost. Um, And we have to recognize also that with age with changes in hormones. And I know you covered this fabulously with my dear friend, Dr. Jen Gunter, the impact of uh, the perimenopause and and menopause and changing hormones on sexual response. Um, And so we need to also accept that what felt good at an earlier time in my life or with a different partner might feel different and that's okay. And that's normal. Mm -hmm. So this kind of process of knowing your body and knowing what pleasure is and how to get it continues throughout her life. Okay. Mm-hmm. So that's rule number one that has to be in place. So masturbate mm-hmm. is number one. <laughs> masturbate is number Know okay, thyself. Know, know thyself. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I think masturbating during different periods of your life, it's yeah. like, I think that that was really important for me to hear. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Okay. So now we're going to fast forward. You're an expert in knowing your own body and what, what elicits pleasure for you. For a lot of a lot of people, and let's just assume people who kind of haven't started having sex with each other yet, they they don't take the time to have a conversation at the outset about their preferences, what they like, what they don't like, what they want to try with that person. It's an opportunity to have some share some fantasies about what you might want to do. By the way, you can even do this in a long-term relationship if you haven't done it before. You can say, oh, I heard this fabulous podcast episode on We Can Do Hard Things. Mm. And they talked about the pro-relationship effects of having a conversation about fantasy. Oh, God. Right? (laughs) Okay. Hold on a second. All right. Abby's dying because she's been trying to get me to talk about this for since we met. Okay. Let's go. (laughs) I. I I have a question. I don't want to derail us because I do want to talk about how a woman who, that sounds like varsity to me. Like I just <laughs> sitting down and being like, let's talk about what we might try in our fantasies. Like that, I want to be that person. Okay. But I want to talk about starting smaller. Fa- I'm confused about fantasy in general, because if we're supposed to be being mindful of what's happening in the room and in our bodies, and we're supposed to be paying attention. So All of a sudden, can... you got a unicorn in there with you. Exactly. So I'm supposed to be, I, I thought I'm supposed to be out of my mind and in my body, which by the way, I don't understand why it's called mindfulness. That pisses me off. It should be called mindlessness. We're trying to get less full of mind, right? But anyway, that's fine. But are we supposed, then it, fantasy comes doesn't that make us get lost in our mind again and not in the present moment? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, great. I'm glad you put your finger on that paradox. So fantasy is not mindfulness. Fantasy is deliberately going to a sexual place that excites you. 
That's what fantasy is. So I often talk about fantasy as a tool, right? Fantasy is something you can do, say, in the lead up to a planned sexual encounter. Mm. We, we talked in the last episode about foreplay extending from the time the last sexual episode ends until the start of the next one. Fantasy might be a way to kind of lubricate that, mm-hmm. right? Lubricate that foreplay. Sometimes people can use fantasy during a sexual encounter to heighten the response. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a fabulous book called Tell Me What You Want by my colleague Justin Lee Miller, surveyed thousands of people and documented literally thousands of different fantasies that people have. And fantasy doesn't have to be what you actually want to do or what you are doing in your life. So all fantasy is, is sexual imagery, but it's not mindfulness, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So but I want to go back to what I was talking about in that conversation when you're not in the in the bedroom great, or wherever great. you decide mm-hmm. to have sex because people don't just have sex in beds and bedrooms. There's lots of other places <laughs> that people can have sex and should have sex. So the fantasy conversation there is about um, what would you like to do in this blank canvas? What do you want to do together? And we can start with what we actually will do. And then we can get kind of fun and playful and talk about some of the really way out there and crazy things that we know we'll never do, but is a fun kind of exercise to do regardless in terms of um, kindling that interest and kindling that desire, right? So all of this boils down to having a conversation about sex before sex starts. Hmm. That's what this boils down to. Wow. It's so fascinating because that feels so terrifying to me. And it's just proof that in our culture, we are so much more comfortable with actually being physically intimate before we are even emotionally or intellectually intimate with each other. Because it's less it terrifying. Feels so much more intimate. Exactly. It's so much more intimate. It is. It feels way more intimate to talk about sex than to just have it. And that's sad because that's how I have been conditioned over time. That like it's less close to just do it. Well, than- it's almost like one of the, another tool that, Dr. Brados talked about, like it's this foreplay mechanism that can be part of the entire sexual experience, sitting down and having a conversation about the, the what to expect or I know. A, a future fantasy. Like to me, I've, I haven't had as much issue talking about sex or wanting to have these discussions as Glennon. And so it's kind of difficult in our relationship and our sexual relationship, how I am capable or wanting to, and she's a little more hesitant. So I'm sure so many people listening to this are either me or Glennon in this, in this way. What do you recommend mm-hmm. to those of us who are more capable of having this conversation and, and those of us who are less? Yeah. Talk to us about the sensate focus thing. Mm-hmm. Cause isn't yeah. that a way of like touching and talking? Yes. Before? Yes. Because clearly I, people like me are like, I will, I'm, it is easier for me to let you into my vagina than into my mind. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Please let this be the video that goes on IG right there. You know, we're, we're all sort of aghast, but that represents right. Pe- people, people's bodies have sex, but their mind and their emotion and their heart does not. Yes. Right. So, um, first of all, let me just set the record straight that when I say fantasy, because in the same way, when I, in the last episode, we talked about erotica and porn, it conjures up a very specific image that people might have of hardcore and, Mm -hmm. you know, penis in vagina and (laughs) no one wants it and people are unhappy. And I think similarly with fantasy, people are imagining 
having sex with everyone else besides your own partner. All fantasy is, is sexual imagery. Mm -hmm. So it might even be creating a scene in your own mind of what you want to do sexually with your own partner. Mm. That's a fantasy. Okay. Mm -hmm. So I just want to create lots and lots of space for the contents of the fantasy when we talk about fantasy, but, but no doubt about it, it can be a really uh, important tool that we use. And in fact, in my own race, I do pair it with mindfulness. And we've done this across hundreds of women in the groups that we run where we'll invite her to go home, engage in a fantasy. And then we send her a little recording of my voice guiding her through a mindfulness. And then she does the mindfulness practice. And inevitably what they'll say is that by first turning the mind on and having it a bit sexually excited, it allows them to tune more into those erotic sensations in their body that they otherwise miss. Yeah, that makes They don't sense. know is there. So that's a way mm-hmm. to bring fantasy and mindfulness together. Mm. Okay, you asked about sensate focus. Um, This is an old sex therapy practice. It's been around since um, the 1960s. Masters and Johnson developed it. And at the time, their theory uh, was that anxiety is at the root of all sexual problems, right? So guys who can't get erections, it's due to anxiety. Um, Women who can't have penetration when the muscles tense up, it's because of anxiety. Low desire, it's because of anxiety. So their um, exercise of sensate focus, which requires a couple, requires two people, and involves person number one touching person number two, head to toe, excluding the chest and the genitals. And person number two who's receiving the touch is tuning in, is relaxing into the touch, and is giving some gentle feedback either verbal feedback, like that feels good, keep going, or nonverbal feedback, maybe a smile um, or some other gesture of uh, liking it. That continues for about 15 minutes and then they swap. Now the giver of the touch becomes the receiver or the receiver becomes the giver. And the idea is that you repeat this a, a number of times before you then move on to the next stage. And the next stage includes breast and genital touch. But the goal is not to create arousal or orgasm. The goal is relaxation, tuning in, and that kind of communication. Mm. So here's what we know about sensei focus. First of all, anxiety is not the reason for all sexual problems. There's lots and lots of, I think we can say patriarchy is the reason for all sexual problems in Mm. women, but, um, Mm. but anxiety is not the universal contributor for all sexual problems in people. But we do know that sensate focus is probably useful for most sexual problems or most most sexual struggles in a couple because we can always stand to learn something about how the other person wants to be touched, Mm -hmm. about what happens when we say penetration is no-go. And this is just about experiencing what comes up in the moment, Mm -hmm. right? So sex is actually off the table. Uh, with sensate focus, even if they're really aroused and and want to go on and do something more sexual at the end, we say, nope, that day, no sex, schedule it for another day. So when you suddenly remove that, it allows you to just fully immerse yourself into the current experience. Mm. And you suddenly have people who've been in relationships for, you know, 20, 30, 40 years saying, oh my God, I never knew that this little quadrant on my lower back was so responsive. I had no idea until we did this exercise. Well, guess what you just learned? You just learned another erotic zone that can be stimulated 
during sexual pleasure. Cool. Right. So it's a, it's a fabulous exercise. Highly recommend it. And the practicing communicating, it reminds me of everything else that we're supposed to do in relationships with therapy. Like we learn to talk to each other. We practice conflict before we're in it. We practice so that when we're in it, we already have the tools to communicate with each other. Is that That's the same idea of sensate focus is that we're practicing exactly. before we're in it. Mm-hmm. So we're not learning on the job. Yeah, don't learn on the job. <laughs> well, it's not working for us. So we will try the sensate focus. Quick math. The less your business spends on operations in multiple systems, the more margin you have and the more of your hard-earned money you get to keep. But with higher expenses than ever on things like materials and distribution, everything just costs more. That's why smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. You'll reduce IT costs, you'll cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems, and you'll improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move, and expenses don't slow down, so why should you? By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash hard things, netsuite.com slash hard things. That's netsuite.com slash hard things. Before we move on to our podcast squatter cues, because I'm very excited about them. What is the first thing a person should do, should say to her partner? She's She's masturbated all the way from here to Kalamazoo. She knows what she likes. She has done all of the things. She has her lubricant subscription. (laughs) What should she say to her partner? Can you just give us a sentence? (laughs) (laughs) Asking for a friend, Glennon? (laughs) Just like if she wants to start the journey of them both exploring her own pleasure instead Mm -hmm. of just his... Um, ejaculation. Yeah. Mm. There's so much nuance because it depends on the relationship dynamic and how receptive partner is. But I think um, a safe way to start is, you know, for the most part, I love our sex life. I love the things that we do. And I want to try something different. Mm-hmm. Right. And so it, the the framing is about opportunity rather than um, I dislike, and this is broken. We need to change it. Unless mm. of course it is broken. Right. Right. right? Unless of course it is painful mm-hmm. because one in five women do have painful sex. Mm. That's not normal. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we're just assuming that along with the lubricant subscription, that the sex for the most part is pretty good. And it's about how do we now focus on her pleasure and make that the center point. Okay. So we're going to do the compliment sandwich we learned in third grade. We're going to say something <laughs> nice first. And we're going to do an and both, not it sucked both. so, yeah. but, and we're going to try something new. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Should we move on to our pod squatter, mm-hmm. um, Dr. Brado cues? They need, they need some Dr. Brado in their lives. Um, we all do. We all we do. S- we all do. Can we start with Lindsay? 
Hi, this is Lindsay, and I have kind of an embarrassing question. I think some people can probably relate to. I have to admit that I am a big faker in bed. I have turned this into an art form, lots of moaning, Meryl Streep in the bedroom. But I am struggling because I'm finally with a great partner who would probably be very understanding and would actually want to please me and help me, you know, get there. But I've already been faking it for a very long time in our relationship. And now I don't know what to do. How do I unfake in the bedroom? How do I just ease out of that? Hope you guys can help and love you guys. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh my God, I love Lindsay so much. And also you can sense the hope in her that she's like, this might be someone who actually wants to be genuine and I want to be genuine with them. How do I unfake? (laughs) So good. First of all, Lindsay, thank you. Lindsay represents 60% of women. <gasps> wow, Big really? national study uh, done out of the Kinsey Institute a few years ago that essentially asked women, have you ever faked an orgasm? And are you still faking orgasms? Um, and if you've stopped faking them, why have you stopped? So 60% of women will say um, on numerous occasions that they have faked an orgasm. And the number one reason, I mean, do we even have to take a guess? It's please a partner, right? It's sort of feeds into that same, I should reach an orgasm. Orgasm is a critical part of my sexual partner's happiness. Um, And the kinds of shoulds that lead women to fake an orgasm have nothing to do with her and her needs. And it has everything to do with her expectations. So um, among the women that do eventually stop faking orgasms, um, something really shifted in, in that encounter, in that relationship. And she realized that actually no one is benefiting from this. It's actually driving a, a, um, a wedge between our sexual satisfaction. And in fact, we actually do know that, that the science shows us in the long-term women who do continue to fake their orgasms have less sexual satisfaction. Maybe that's a no-brainer yeah. because, you know, faking orgasms doesn't happen in a in a vacuum, it goes along with all the patriarchal views and the yes. uh, the shooting and the negative sex messaging and the poor education. To that extent, Lindsay's in good company. I think one thing that I would really empower Lindsay um, and others to do is is to not accept an easing out of it, rather than a just stop. Like today, today we're going to stop. Mm. We're going to stop because. The the sexual encounters have become stressful because she's going into it. She's now spectating, right? Mm -hmm. She's monitoring. Am I getting closer? Is it getting there? Mm. She realizes she's not. So she starts moaning. Then she watches herself moan. And then she might say, is that the right kind of moan? Or is that a too much pornographic moan? Mm -hmm. Right? And and suddenly she is not having sex anymore. Mm -hmm. She is watching from the side of the room with a stopwatch, waiting for herself to reach orgasm. And then her partner hears the moaning and says, oh, are we getting closer? Are you almost there? I'm almost there too. Can we go at the same time? Another false myth that needs to be debunked, which is simultaneous orgasm, you know, is the root of sexual happiness in a relationship. It is not. (laughs) It is not whatsoever. So you can see how this pattern continues over time and and how it happens to 60% of women. So yeah, the first thing to do is just to completely stop and realize that it's actually getting in the way 
of allowing you to feel orgasm more naturally. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. stop, completely stop. Whether you choose to tell a partner that you have been faking it and um, that that can be um, a catalyst for a really great conversation Mm -hmm. about sex in a relationship, or it could go the other way Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. a partner might feel betrayed. And uh, what else have you been lying to me about? So it, it can go in not just two ways, it can go a multitude of ways if, if a person chooses to tell a partner. I don't think you have to tell a partner. Um, so we do want to make sure that Lindsay uh, knows how to reach orgasm and knows what orgasm feels like on her own. And really, this is where mindfulness comes in, right? It's about staying with the body, staying with the sensations in the moment, telling herself that sexual pleasure is not wrapped up in orgasm, that's wrapped up in being very present and being in sync and feeling good with vulnerability. Um, And that if orgasm happens on its own, great. That maybe is the icing on the cake or maybe it's totally irrelevant. So there's a, a number of things that Lindsay can do in the moment with a partner, but there's a whole lot that she can do outside of the bedroom to unhinge those really patriarchal views about what orgasm really means. Mm -hmm. Cool. It's interesting that Lindsay now has a partner that she feels might be trustworthy of, might be worthy of and capable of having this conversation. And it might be a really interesting test to try. Mm -hmm. I mean, I told Abby, I've never not faked an orgasm before our relationship. That's all I did my entire life. I just thought that's just what we do. Let's just get the job done. And honestly, mm-hmm. I felt like we were all complicit in it. Like I always wonder about this because I never felt like if I had told my partner that that I was faking, that they would have been all that surprised. I don't think I was that good of an actor. I just felt <laughs> like there was a situation set up where women are supposed to do it and men are supposed to act like they think that it happened so, and that there's not a lot of care. Like plausible deniability. Exactly. Like, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. I've always had an issue. Like, I've always felt like it just takes me too long. It takes me too long. And it's. Have you ever used a stopwatch? Like it I, doesn't. I, I, it doesn't take you too long. I right. Keep that's, you. that's my that's my point. Yeah. Is feeling like it's taking too long is feeding into these societal views yes. or notions, which is it should take. X number of minutes. And so if you're outside of that window of time, there's something wrong with you. Yeah. And it's just, it's just another example of women thinking I'm too much. I'm not enough. I'm too much. I'm not enough. Like there's no actual amount that is perfect for a woman. Like if I'm too much, what amount am I supposed to be? And it's the same with orgasm. It's like, where did we get all of these ideas that there's a certain amount of time that is correct? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm Abby asked, is there a certain amount of time? And, and there isn't. And it's because the research that has asked that question has been so all over the map that they can't put their finger on a, on a single number. In fact, I would argue you want orgasms to take a long time because then that means arousal is prolonged. It means mm-hmm. there's this sort of very natural waxing and waning of the sexual response building. Hmm. Maybe you take a pause and chit chat, right? So um, this idea that faster is better is really dangerous. Really, really I have dangerous. I have a follow up mm-hmm. question because I think that this could help a lot of folks. When you are in that moment, 
because it's happened, I think, to probably all women who've been in sexual encounters. Is this taking too long? What do you suggest for a woman in that moment to do to get back into her body and out of her mind? I mean, it's wrapped up in your question, Abby, and that is you get back into your body. You ask yourself, where do I feel the vibration? Mm. Where is the tension? Where is the heat? Where's the warmth? Where is the coolness? Mm. Where is the wetness? That's what you do. You, you, you literally anchor yourself mm-hmm. in physical sensations. And, and we can't do both at the same time, the same way that we can't multitask. You can't be processing all of these judgmental thoughts and be fully riding on the evolving sensations in your body at the same time. So it's a, it's a beautiful anchor to bring you back to the present. Is there a way to engage with your partner and communicate some of this like mind that's coming into play Mm -hmm. and kind of Mm -hmm. getting in between you and your body in the moment? Like, do we have like a a safe word or whatever it's called? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when couples ask me that I'll, I'll often say, well, what works best for the two of you? Is it, do you want partner to ask you? Like, do you want partner to say, what are you feeling right now? And where do you feel it? Or do you want to be the person to say, you know, that safe word or that whatever single word it is? So there's some dynamics there that we need to figure out what it is, but definitely it is something that both partners can be engaged in. So one way to to be mindful with a partner at the same time is open your eyes. Now, for some people that really creeps them out, Mm -hmm. right? The sort of looking deep into each other's eyes. But when you get past all the psychological hangups about uh, and discomfort that come about with looking into someone's eyes, then you can really focus on the color, the shape, the eyelashes, mm-hmm. the distance between the two eyes. And it can be a really pretty easy and effective way of bringing you both into the present moment at this at the same time. God, it's just um, so I, I want to throw in one other thing, a piece of advice for Lindsay, and that is. Um, if she feels comfortable, and I would really empower to her to do this, is ask her partner to watch her masturbate. Mm-hmm. Oh. Just silence. So sh- Just silence from the whole we can do hard things. <laughs> well, We're all I, sort of imagining that play out. <laughs> well, it's because sometimes partners don't know what really stimulates the other, That's- right? And I think seeing that it's not just for eroticism's sake. It's like actual for functionality's sake. Instruction. It's a didactic teaching session. It's really good. Oh, Lindsay. Do you care to join me for a didactic teaching (laughs) session (laughs) at 10.15 after we put the kids down? Lindsay, we need you to report back after your didactic teaching session (laughs) and let us know how it went. Godspeed, Lindsay. You can do hard things. Love it so much. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this there is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle, protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry 
healthy, and beautiful. And when you use swaddlers in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth, and you won't have to worry about tearing. With Free and Gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Okay, let's hear from Zoe. Hi, Glennon, sister, and Abby. This is Zoe. I've recently started dating a woman, and she is just amazing, really top-notch, good human. And I have a lot, a lot of love for her, and I care about her a lot. There's something missing. She's the first woman I've been with in any way, and the romance I'm having a really hard time with and some of the physical intimacy and I just I really don't want to let her go but I feel like I don't know if I'll be able to get there but it just I just I don't know I'm just lost and I would really like to hear more of your thoughts this is Zoe's first uh relationship with another woman and it sounds like things are going well but she's not feeling a whole lot of sexual desire or sexual attraction for her partner. I'm just sort of clarifying what I heard because she mentioned romance, but I think she, by romance, she might've been referring to sex. Mm -hmm. That's, that's Mm -hmm. what's missing. So the romance is great. The connection is good. Communication is good, but the sexual energy or the sexual desire, um, that's where the big question mark is. So you know, first of all, we we want to take a step back and I'll, I'll come back to our conversation from the last episode, which is um, love is not the same thing as desire. They can be very separate. Love is something uh, that grows and builds over time. Desire, similarly, can also be cultivated, right? It's not something that is just automatic and spontaneous and there. And so I wonder if what Zoe is feeling is kind of what a lot of people feel, which is motivation, but not necessarily desire for sex. So I want to normalize that, first of all. Mm -hmm. And then I would encourage Zoe to think about um, what's in it for me, what's in it for us, if we were to go into this sexual encounter, right? So we're normalizing neutrality, and we're giving her tons of permission and creativity to think about why have sex? Maybe it's to do something totally new with a partner, you know, a same sex partner that I've never done anything with. Maybe it's an opportunity to learn something about myself Mm. from uh, a same sex partner. So really to give herself time to think about the reasons. And if that leads her to consent and wanting, again, doesn't have to be desire, then she can go ahead in all of the same ways that we've been talking asking for permission, showing partner what she likes, being open that arousal can give way to desire, uh, recognizing that orgasm does not have to happen, and sort of treat this as, I mean, she almost wants to treat this as her first ever sexual encounter, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right? Imagine, like, let's erase all your past. In fact, every new sexual encounter is a brand new, it's almost like sex for the first time, Hmm. right? And so that's where some of the danger is, is she might be comparing this to her feelings in past relationships. Um, The current partner might be doing less soliciting, right? Less Mm -hmm. inviting. And if it is a woman, 
again, it's very gendered. There's probably less of that kind of pressuring into having sex that maybe she did experience from men. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a lot that makes this different. And different doesn't mean broken. Mm. Different means an opportunity to be creative and be open. And please, please, please communicate, right? Mm. Communicate. Let's go back to fantasy. What do you want to do? What can we do? Mm-hmm. I've never done this before. Show me. Teach me. I'm open to. Walk me through. Let me watch you. So think slow, simmering, smoldering fire rather than a big, bursting flame all at once. And that can be super sexy. So this is a wonderful opportunity for Zoe. Interesting. So you're even suggesting that she continues this trying and cultivating is because she is experiencing pleasure in this relationship, right? She's experiencing pleasure through emotional, through she's, she's reported there's so much goodness there and it's just this physical, but because for me, I'm looking at her and I'm thinking, that's how I used to feel about with guys. (laughs) like right right like so is there how do you know I just this is dangerous territory so I'm trying to I'm trying to ask this in like but I know the listener is going to be thinking this so I'm like how do you know when it's just maybe that's not your sexuality or can it or can choice be involved in that is because I've always felt like there's some measure of choice involved Mm-hmm. can we allow for that? Or are we supposed to say, well, well, sister, maybe you are just not gay. Okay. <laughs> there's a, there's a lot in that. And I, I think your, um, your trepidation around this is, is warranted. We're not talking about just doing it for the sake of doing it, even if it's not consensual. Right. That's not what we're talking about. We're I'm going into this with a lot of assumptions Mm -hmm. that Zoe and her partner um, have a strong emotional and romantic bond. She wants to be sexual because I think I think I heard her say that she wants to, but she's just not sensing Mm -hmm. it there. Mm -hmm. Um, And what is jumping out to me is she's comparing this in an unfair way to past sexual encounters Mm -hmm. that have been with men. Okay. Yeah. And she's saying, I'm not able to get there. And I think when when you were talking to us, Dr. Brado, about the one of the most important things about our sexual pleasure or dysfunction is the beliefs we bring in. We're born with a heteronormative message mandate through our whole mm-hmm. lives. And it could be that Zoe is bringing into that pictures and stories in her head about how this is not right. This is unnatural. This is whatever it is. And just because it's coming f- from her mm. doesn't mean it's of her. Yeah, You know, it could be needing to say, to look at those things and say, what is this block? What story am I telling myself that is taking me out of my head and not letting me go there with this person? Right. Right. Yeah, I'm I'm so glad that you brought that up because is this for Zoe also creating questions of who am I, right? Mm-hmm. So because I'm attracted to a woman, does this mean I'm a lesbian? Mm-hmm. And what does this mean for my understanding of myself for the last however old she is, 30 years, 40 years? Rather than saying I'm attracted to this person, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It's not about our gender and whether we fit into this category or that category. Rather, it's about my love and admiration and attraction for this person. 
And, um, and so that is a really important conversation because if she did grow up with messages, uh, that have been denigrating towards same sex sexualities, she's going to be carrying those with her, whether she knows them or not, they are going to be making their way Mm -hmm. into her psyche and into her bedroom. Mm -hmm. And it's also possible that they're just friends, you know, (laughs) like it, it really is. It's all like her, the love that she has inside of her might just be more friendship love. Totally. Uh, but, yeah. you know, I'm always going to say go for it. So right, right. <laughs> I'm yeah. pro gay over here. So, <laughs> <laughs> Okay, Zoe, good luck, sister. Let's hear from Sarah. Hi, Glennon. Hi, sister. Hi, Abby. My question is this. I'm a little over two weeks sober. Yay. And I haven't had sober sex yet. And I'm really scared. <laughs> I haven't had sex sober in years. And I just don't know how to do it. I'm scared of being so present. Just wondered if you had any tips. I guess that's it. Love you so much. This is Sarah. Thanks. Bye. I feel, I feel this one. I feel this one. Well, um, kudos to you, Sarah, for, uh, this period of sobriety. There's a lot we know about the effects of alcohol and sex and, And for a lot of people, alcohol numbs negative sex messages in a way that allows them to engage in sex, Mm. right? So all the inhibitions that we carry, whether they're external and patriarchal or they're rooted in the present relationship, right? Mm. Like you're not good enough. Um, The only way for this to work is for us to have a certain frequency and type of sex, et cetera. So all those messages can be numbed through sex. Hmm. It is a coping mechanism that quote, allows a person to engage in sex, but obviously in a really unhealthy way, because it means that she's actually having sex in spite of, um, some of these important messages that are being numbed through alcohol. Hmm. Now at the same time, alcohol is a depressant and has a direct effect on the nerves, on the blood vessels, on the neurotransmitters, on the sexual system in the body. It's been an area of intense research study. They'll set up an experiment where they bring usually college kids into a lab and um, protect them and watch them and and make them sign a waiver that they're going to stay in the lab for six hours until the alcohol has left their blood. But what it's allowed us to learn is the impact of increasing doses of alcohol on sexual response. And it kicks in pretty fast. Um, So for say, and, you know, quote, average build of woman, whatever average is, um, after a drink, uh, the impact of alcohol on her sexual response starts to take its toll. Hmm. Like in a negative way. In a a negative way. Yeah. Mm. So it interferes with arousal. And because arousal is necessary for orgasm, it can be a major reason why women are not reaching orgasm when they're they're drinking Hmm. at the same time. So on the one hand, you have the, quote, benefits of not having all the negative messages but on the other hand, your body's going the opposite way and uh, and not feeling and not feeling arousal or orgasm. So now Sarah is starting to come out of that, right? So the good news, she's going to start to feel her body. Mm-hmm. She's going to start to feel the early signs of arousal. And I'd encourage Sarah to really tune into that. I mean, she's, depending on how long she's been drinking for, maybe she has no idea what arousal even feels yep. like. So this is an amazing opportunity for her to learn, maybe for the first time, 
What are the early signs of arousal? Mm -hmm. Can I build it? Can I watch it? Does arousal travel through my body and use this as a, again, a time to be really excited about that? On the other hand, she's now going to be faced with all the negative messages that were blunted with alcohol. So having tools in place to be able to address that, depending on the nature of what the negative messages were and how strong they were, this might be an opportunity to work with a professional, a psychologist, a sex therapist, um, someone trained in helping you manage what the negative uh, beliefs are. Um, or if they're on the kind of milder scale, maybe it is something that Sarah can do on her own. If there is, has been any past history of unwanted sex, sexual assault, rape, for a lot of women, um, alcohol does become a way mm-hmm. of numbing and tuning out those past messages. So if that is part of her history, I'd really advocate that she reach out to a skilled healthcare provider to help uh, help encounter those memories again, because they they might come back pretty fiercely. I, wow. I, want to, I have a message for Sarah about so, sobriety, but can you tell me, do so many women have been our survivors of sexual assault of all kinds. Is there hopeful messages you can give us about that? Do people recover or is it, it's not recovering, is it? Is it just living with it and finding ways to, can they still have pleasure in during sex with their partners and how? Yeah, ab- absolutely. And and um, Glenn and I, I'm assuming that you're talking about when it comes to sex, yes. right? So yes, yes, there might course. be other ways that the remnants play themselves out. Yeah, it's, it's been an area of huge uh, research study. In fact, I was just at a conference over the weekend in Chicago where this was a major theme that came up, which was what happens to those women who experienced sexual assault or rape either as an adult, an adolescent, as a child, and what happens to their sexuality as they grow. And um, the good news is about half of them are able to really fully move past it and um, don't see any impact on their sexuality or on their sexual desire. They're able to engage in consensual ways and feel pleasure and arousal. And the bad news is half do not. Mm. Um, that of course can be mitigated with a good qualified trusting healthcare provider who knows how to manage not just sexual assault, but if there's any, any PTSD, post-traumatic stress symptoms and how that shows up during sex. Because sometimes what I see in my practice is we do a lot of good work around working through the, the trauma but then it surfaces in the bedroom when she starts to feel aroused because arousal is a trigger. Sure. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's what I mean about making sure that you're working with uh, a qualified and well-trained person in this area. So there is definitely reason for hope. And I would say, even if you think this has not had any lasting impact on you, do consider talking to someone. Okay. No shame there. No shame in talking to someone. Single-handedly impacting our environment for the better, that's a daunting task. But it's possible, and there are incredible people who are living proof that setting your mind to something and really being passionate about it will bring about change. 
The Goldman Environmental Prize is the world's foremost award honoring grassroots environmental activists. Each year, the prize honors six ordinary people who are making an extraordinary impact for the planet. If you look at this year's winners, you'll learn about Marcel Gomez, who exposed the links between a company's meatpacking practices and illegal deforestation, which led to a major boycott of that company's products. Amazing. You'll learn about Andrea Vidalre, whose relentless leadership resulted in California adopting its most ambitious emissions reduction regulations in history. And there are more amazing stories to discover. I can't imagine stories more important than these. Find the stories of this year's prize winners at goldmanprize.org. Is there any book that they can order? Because there's so many people who can't. I just always think about the person. People can't find therapists or they can't find the time or they can't find the money or their insurance doesn't pay for it. Is there like a freaking website or what do people do that can't find therapists? Yeah. 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 There's a variety of books that um, talk about history of sexual assault and it and how it affects sexuality. Certainly in my book, Better Sex Through Mindfulness, I have a whole chapter on yep. it. Um, Emily Nagoski's book, Come As You Are, reviews the science that I've just summarized and again, paints this hopeful picture while at the same time empowering women to get help. Uh, Becoming Cliterate is another one by Lori Mintz. Uh, which is about knowing your body and also knowing about what gets in the way of knowing your body and sexual assault is one of them. So thank you. There, uh, I, I do recognize that to be able to access therapy is a privilege that um, a lot of people, probably most people don't have mm-hmm. either financially or geographically uh, or that sort of thing. So um, thankfully there are some really good books on uh, that are out there. Can we just take a moment to realize that the statistic that you just shared means that one in six women in this country have their ability and their their human right to access pleasure through sex robbed of them over their lifetime because of this country's unwillingness and inability to do anything about the epidemic of sexual assaults against women. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One in six women cannot access their sexual pleasure because we as a country have decided that no accountability for sexual assault is going to be the rule in this country. Yep. Yeah, it's it's jarring, isn't it? Um And we are are talking about one of multiple instances of, you know, stripping away of rights towards women. So when you start adding up all of the other ways where there's lack of accountability or or an outright taking away of what women are entitled to, suddenly that one in six number starts to jump up pretty quick. And then you start to say, well, it's no wonder so many people have problems sexually. And it has nothing to do with their hormones or their biology. It's the system that that they are marinated in. And I'm amazed Mm -hmm. by this. I mean, this, I'm just going to try to say this and make sense of it. But I'm amazed that more women are not just constantly enraged at their husbands. 
Okay. And I say this with lesbian privilege now. Okay. I understand I have lesbian (laughs) privilege, but it reminds me of, we did an episode with our dear friend, Dr. Yaba Blay. Okay. And she was talking to us about the ridiculousness of the word ally and how white people are always coming to her to say, what should I do? What should I do to help you? Like what, or doing nothing while uh, black people's rights are, are ignored while violence is happening, where they're being murdered. And her thought and her insistence was like, do whatever you do if your people were being killed in the streets. You wouldn't have to be taught by us. You would just know what to do You would, and you would do it. And so I guess I just, I think a lot about how you know, the statistics that you just said that one in six women have their sexual pleasures stolen from them, that our rights are being taken by the Supreme Court now, that on and on and on. And then we look at our partners who are men and many of them are not doing shit about it, but then they want our bodies in bed. And I know it's not all that simple, but I just, I wonder why men aren't out there fighting and marching and demanding accountability for sexual predators like their own lives depend on it. It must be because their own lives don't depend on it. Mm -hmm. It's because, but their partner's lives depend on it. So why aren't their asses out there every day fighting for their families? And why does that not create a break between men and women much like the break in trust between white women and black women. Right. It does. I mean, John and I have been working through some, a lot of stuff lately and like really digging in. And he finally told me, he said, ever since November 8th, 2016, the night that Trump was elected, there has been a hardness and a meanness to you that was not there before. Wow. Hmm. The night that the leak of, the overturning of Roe came out and I just walked right in our bedroom and threw my computer on the bed and said, it must be nice to be a person who's never been treated by your country as a second class citizen and just went to bed. And he was, he was so upset because he was like, you're clumping me with them. These whole people that do, who are doing this and oppressing you. And I said, no, I'm not. I'm stating a fact that is very real and will forever divide us, which is that you don't know what it's like to be a person that your country values so little that it conscripts your organs and your future in a government mandate. Mm -hmm. You will never know that. You will never understand that. And so my question to you is, would there be able to be less hardness in you if there were more hardness in him? Would there be a less of a divide if husbands weren't sitting around saying, well, I don't know what to do. If they were just figuring it out, if they were allowing us, if they were allowing women to process, to feel, to rage and not have to be the ones leading the organizing, leading all of it because their asses were out there doing it. Yeah. I mean, if, if, yeah. Yes. Okay. All right. You want to see him get angry. Yes. And or right. do you something. Wanna, you want to see him get angry. Right. And stop right. acting like they because don't know how to do it. They're already running the fucking world. Do what you always do. Pretend it's a startup. Like, get organized. 
Or at least, yes, and at least understand that there is no compartmentalizing if you if you really want intimacy with your person, which is what you're purporting to want when you ask them to lie down in bed with you. Right. If you really want intimacy, then you cannot pretend that the person that is lying next to you is bringing the intimacy of the understanding that her body has been divorced from herself, which you are asking to come here. Mm-hmm. Right. And be whole. Like, and you're either fighting for her or you're not. Right. Let's hear from our last pot squatter. Hi, my name is Christine. I was calling actually for two reasons. I just listened to your episode on sexual desire and was sad to know that I had never heard Drive by Melissa Farrick, even though I'm a lesbian. So I immediately listened and, yep, I'm gay. Um, So that (laughs) kind of cracked me up. Um, My second reason I'm calling is because I don't know if you ever take nominations for Pod Squatter of the Week, but I wanted to... Just give a shout out to my dear friend, Erica. She introduced me to your podcast a few months ago, and it has changed my world in so many wonderful ways. And I just wanted to thank her for um, introducing me to these conversations and just lift her up because she's an amazing person and an amazing friend, and I don't know what I would do without her. So thank you so much. Keep up the amazing community and um, I can't wait to keep listening. Have a wonderful day. Yay. Thank you, Christine. Thank you, Christine. Uh, Also, that is a good uh, next right thing for our friend who's trying to figure out how to want to make out with her new girlfriend. Listen to Drive by Melissa Farrick. Okay. (laughs) The litmus test. Um, Dr. Brado, Lori, Lori, thank you so much for, I'm, I've just, just personally, I just needed you this week. <laughs> so mm. thank you. I think f- we all needed each other yeah. this week and I'm in Canada. We are not immune to this. Mm-hmm. Um, we stand beside you and we are just as fucking freaked out as you mm-hmm. all are as well. So we are in, in solidarity with you. I don't think that, thank I mean, you. what more important work could you be doing right now? Just helping yeah. women yeah. be in their bodies access their pleasure, demand pleasure, no matter what is um, revolutionary work right now. And thank you for doing it. And I know we've talked a lot about the ways that it makes it harder. How is it possible to be this divorced from your body by your government and still need to be present in it? But we also just remembering that that is our birthright and that that is our active resistance is that the more they try to take over our bodies, the more we need to double down on taking ownership of them and our birthright and our pleasure and our joy in our own goddamn bodies. So this is what we're doing now. And I think for the next right thing, Better Sex Through Mindfulness by Dr. Lori Brado. It's all about the practice of mindfulness that is about non-judgmental present moment awareness of all those thoughts, all of those judgments of yourselves, all of those critiques of your body and the, am I doing it right? The, the good news and bad news is that we got to let all that go. It keeps coming down to this thing. We're going to have to 
feel it all or miss it all. That's right. So let's just let those thoughts come. It has been proven by the good doctor to result in increased sexual arousal, desire, and pleasure, improved intensity of orgasm. And I just want to say one thing, Glennon, do you want to go on a sensate focused date with me tonight? Oh, Jesus. Oh, Dr. Is that similar to the didactic training? Um, Yes. So, (laughs) yeah. So (laughs) I just want to formally invite my wife on a sensate focused date tonight. Ooh. I'm saying it out loud. Okay. What do you say? Okay, baby. Next right thing. Next right thing. <gasps> she I'll said do yes. it. I'll do it. She said yes. Pod you squad. You heard it here, folks. We will report back. We'll see you next week. We love you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. It's fine.